I am Tova Cito. I believe our lives should be happy, healthy, and abundant. And I believe it's our job to get us there. Every week, I will have inspiring, educational, and fun conversations that will help you live your very best life. Welcome to The Remedy. Well, welcome to the next episode of The Remedy with Tovacito. I am sitting here this morning with Julie Haygood, Dr. Julie Haygood, <laughs> who is um, just an incredibly bright, intelligent, inspiring person, mom, friend, human, doctor. I know that you have made um, a huge difference in the lives of very many. I met Dr. Haygood on January 9th, <laughs> 2003, when you helped Dr. Bertrand, John Bertrand, who you work with, uh, do a C-section um, right. <laughs> with my son. And I... It's kind of weird that you meet someone like the, who's doing something so profound for you. Like you meet them that day. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that day. <laughs> I remember it very. I can ve- I, like I have vivid. Of course, I, I was the mom giving birth. But sure. I have vivid memories of you and Dr. Bertrand, and I remember where you stand, where you stood. Right. I remember what you look like. I remember thinking, it's kind of badass that this woman is in here because I remember him calling you a sister Tova because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> we grew up in the same church right. we grew up oh, yeah. we both grew up Mormon so he he does call me that because I was on call that day and so he came in kind of special to help so it was a, I knew it was yeah. a big deal and then he kind of told me you know some of the stories so yeah He's just, he's such a great doctor, but so are you. And I <laughs> invited you here today because um, you have an incredible reputation in the community, and oh, I'm sure you. it's much bigger than I even know about, but um, you are an OBGYN. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me, you have lots of letters behind your name, <laughs> and I don't know what any of them mean. <laughs> so tell us uh, a little bit about like where you went to school sure. and, and what the letters mean and what you practice, what sure. you do. Well, I um, went to undergrad at SMU, and then I had a play year in between college and med school. I lived in Colorado for a year and um, was applying to med school then. Went to med school uh, at UT in Houston. Mm-hmm. And then after Houston, came to UT Southwestern for residency. And so that was another four years at, at Parkland Hospital. And then after that, went into private practice and joined the group at Walnut Hill OB-GYN. So you've been in the same place your entire career? I was in Arlington for two years, um, joined one of my close friends' uh, dad's practice. But then Robert and I, my husband, we really kind of wanted our life in Dallas. And so I called Bertrand one afternoon and said, remember me? (laughs) And uh, we met kind of on the sly one evening. And uh, the next thing I knew, I was a part of the group. And it was a great decision. So where did you grow up? I grew up in Plano. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you're Dallas. Mm-hmm. Dallas went, girl. went to high school in Plano, and then um, SMU, and then, like I said, Colorado, and then did the med school residency route. So when you were at SMU, did you know you wanted to be a doctor? Did you know you at some point wanted to go to medical school? You know, my freshman year, I did not know. I kind of went in clean slate and undecided on major, and then. One of my college roommates, her dad was a physician, and um, I remember I had to declare my major, 
And my mom's like, well, what about science? What about biology? You've always been good at this. What about medicine? And so I started, I kind of dipped my toes in it, if you will. And I took a biology class and I took a chemistry class. And I went home with my roommate and went on rounds with her dad. Oh, that's cool. And he got me into some surgeries and we, I got to just get some exposure. And then I decided to volunteer at Parkland Hospital. And then I was all in. Uh, then I went full force. And so that's kind of why I had that year off in between college and med school because I didn't start the pre-med classes really until my sophomore year. Okay. Um, when you were when you were volunteering at Parkland, what were you doing? I was in the ER. Doing what? I didn't want to just like deliver flowers and you know, <laughs> stuff like that. And so I was in the ER. And of course, I wanted to do, to do more than they would allow just a volunteer to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was in the ER just running errands, helping out the nurses, the doctors, the residents with whatever I could. But I saw some crazy stuff. I bet you did. I mm-hmm. bet you have some really good there, stories. There's some good stories in there. <laughs> I don't know if it's appropriate. Uh. Well, we might do that just with each other over a glass of wine one day. That sounds good. <laughs> okay, so I really wanted you to come because I know that fertility and infertility mm-hmm. um, is a huge, huge topic. I, um, I do a Bible study. I was telling you on Tuesday evenings, right. <clears throat> excuse me, with uh, adorable young girls and all in their late 20s, early 30s, and I'm watching them right. go through what I went through sure. you know, almost 20 years ago, you know, getting, getting married and then thinking about, okay, when do we want to start our family, right. and then worrying about, okay, how long could that take, and, and then you know, watching other people get pregnant easy, watching other people right. really, really struggle watching people have miscarriages, um, all of it, and, sure. and then everything in between and, and that much more. But um, So I wanted to invite you here today to just talk about that um, because uh, I know it's a huge, huge topic that a lot – I mean, now you're, you're dealing with that demographic all day. Every day. Every day. Right. Um, and I loved what you said when I uh, asked you to come. You're like, yes, I love talking about, I don't remember how you worded it exactly. Much more passionate. Yeah, much more passionate <laughs> of, about getting people pregnant about, right. about that. So let me ask you, um, what is your favorite part of your job? I think the favorite part for me is still the obstetrics and the deliveries, even though, as we were saying earlier, I mean, I was up most of the night last night. Mm -hmm. um, There's still just that awesome feeling of handing someone their baby for the first time. Um, I can't even imagine. It's... You get that rush every time. Like I said, I mean, even in the middle of the night when I was really tired and I'm walking down the stairs to labor and delivery going, ugh. And then you get down there and you get this energy and you, you know, you build off the family's energy. It's a great feeling. It's a great feeling. So that's still my favorite. And I want it to remain my favorite for a while. Is handing <laughs> a beautiful, healthy mm-hmm baby to its mom and its dad for the very first time. Very first time. I bet that never, ever gets old. It really doesn't. 
So uh, we were talking um, before this started, and you shared with me that in just just yesterday you delivered six babies. Six babies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just un. I mean, six lives yesterday, just born that you right. get to be a part of. That's incredible. It really is incredible. This one. Um, husband it was his third son that i delivered yesterday was his birthday the dad's birthday oh. so we it was a, a scheduled c-section and so we i delivered his third son on his birthday and afterwards he like makes the little sign and he's holding the baby and hugging me and holding the sign of uh you know dr haygood delivered all three of my great boys you oh. know and uh, so it's just cool stuff like that it's really yeah. really really cool i i get to i tell people all the time <clears throat> i tell my kids when they sometimes don't quite get my hours and, and what I do. I'm like, guys, people let me in to the most precious part of their life. Mm-hmm. I get to be a part of that. And yeah. so when we see people at Central Market or when we see people, even on vacation, I'll run into patients or the group's patients. I said, it's a, it's a big deal. Yeah. I get to be a part of a very special, intimate time in someone's life. Yeah, one of the most important, yeah. I mean, outside of getting married, Right. The, and maybe even more. Yeah. <laughs> in some cases, like, I mean, the day that my children were born was the best days of my life. Those were the two right. very best days of my life. Well, I tell people all the time, and no offense to my husband, I love him dearly. You think you know love when you get married. Mm-hmm. And then you have a baby? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's it goes a whole other level. Of love. Level of love. And then people, when they get pregnant with the second kid and they're worried that they're not going to yes. have that love, yes. I'm like, nah, don't worry. Yeah. I promise. It's true. It just, that heart gets bigger. You will love both. I mean, it's just, and you can't explain it until you live it. Um, I remember a patient of mine who's uh, now a friend and a church member with us <laughs> and uh she, after I delivered her uh, second baby, no, 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 after I had my first, she came to the office for a visit and she says, so how's it, is it any different than you thought it would be? Like, what's been your favorite part now that, you know, you've delivered all these babies and now you're the mom? I said, I, I, I thought I knew what love was, mm-hmm. but this is, wow. It's really, really So sweet. the fact that I get to be a part of that is what makes my job so awesome. And now that, I mean, you're, you've been a mom now for a long time, but... Um, I mean, I can see how much. I mean, I see you at church. Right. I see, I see how you post what you post right. about your kids. <laughs> I mean, you are all in. I'm all in with with your kids and right. your family. I, it's so easy to see how much you love your boys. I just think that's why I'm here. Oh, you know? that's so cute. <laughs> why I'm on this earth. <laughs> so, um, so y- you told us the best part of right. your job. What's the hardest? Oh, the hardest is you know the. The loss, telling people bad news, um, that's, that's always hard. Telling someone that their baby doesn't have a heartbeat anymore, isn't going to make it, um, that's the hardest. I bet as beautiful and as rewarding it was to hand those six babies over yesterday is, at, like, is as difficult as... Right, as it must be to to be the bear, because you're not telling someone they have a cavity. No, like you right. are sharing, you are sharing the worst news that right. anybody could possibly 
ever. Exactly. And what makes it sometimes even harder is I'll go from that room Mm -hmm. of telling that bad news, and then I've got to turn on the happy face for the next patient who's got good news. Yeah. And that's that's where it, it weighs on you. I bet. It's hard. How do you how do you deliver hard news? How do you gear up for that? Well, I I always shoot it straight from the hip and my patients know that about me. Um, and I'm gonna give everyone the time that they need and that's why I too sometimes run a little late in the office. <laughs> Um, you know, but it's worth the wait. Everyone's going to need my time at some point, you know? And so, um, it might not be your time today and you're waiting for just your annual exam, but someday you're going to need more time. And so that's been my kind of way to say it. Yeah. I'm going to be there for whenever you need me. So for those of you who are listening, who get cranky (laughs) about waiting rooms, that's that's a right. really good little nugget for us. Like one day you're going to need more time. Yeah, so and and I'm going to give it. Mm-hmm. But um, but you know I, I I tell them what I'm seeing and and what I'm not seeing. If it's you know a early miscarriage and I'm not seeing a heartbeat and you know I try to go through with them that this wasn't anything that they did. Women have this this knack this <laughs> skill. Unfortunately, if we immediately try to retrace. Oh, yeah. Every step we took. Oh, yeah. Every morsel of food we ate and drank, Mm -hmm. every exercise that we did from conception to this moment. Yeah. And what did we do to cause this? Yeah. Did I drink? Was it the glass of wine? Right. Was it the 31 setups that I did? Right. Yeah. And um, I have two kids, but I had two miscarriages. And Mm -hmm. so I can speak from that experience, too. And even though I knew better. I sat there and did the same thing, maybe not to the degree that some patients do. And so I just tried to go over with them that that wasn't it. Something wasn't right. Mm-hmm. This, wasn't, this wasn't right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I tried to tell the husband and wife that, look, y'all are going to deal with this differently. Mm. That's really um, good. She's going to see every pregnant woman in the city of Dallas yeah. everywhere she goes. Yeah. And it might be two months from now. And the husband might be kind of over it. Mm-hmm. She's going to know exactly how many weeks she should have been. Mm-hmm. And she's going to remember what that due date should have been. Mm-hmm. And so the best medicine, honestly, is just a good healthy pregnancy mm-hmm. the next time. Because it's hard to get over that. Mm-hmm. Um, and not all husbands are like that. But most of them, they yeah. kind of get over that initial and then... They're moving on. They're ready to fix it. Let's get pregnant again. And she's still reminded every day Mm -hmm. of what didn't work for her. Really, really, really good. Really good advice. And I don't think it's the guy's fault. No. You know, it's not, they're not. It's the whole Mars Venus thing. Yeah. It's not being jerks, (laughs) but you mean, you get, you get pregnant you see the double line mm-hmm. and you're, you're Whoop, dreaming. You're planning. Yeah, yeah it <laughs> <You're>, is. <laughs> you are. You're dreaming right. about what this baby's going to be like, what mm-hmm. it's going to feel like to hold it, Absolutely. what they're going to look like. And uh, any, I don't, you know, I, as you know, I, I had a miscarriage and a stillborn. Right. Um, and, and then I lost two children, right. married two children that lived. And whenever somebody hears that, um, they'll say, they'll say, oh yeah, I had a miscarriage at, right. at 10 weeks, but it's nothing compared to your pain. And I always say to them, 
pain is pain. Like right. don't don't try to compare our pain. Like you you had sure. a dream, and that dream was lost. And so y- you can we don't have to compare our pain. Right. You know. Right. And and I think that uh, whatever you know, I have a very very good friend who um, who had a miscarriage and. It was so painful for her. She could never, she never wanted to try to conceive again. Wow. And a lot of people had a lot of opinions sure. about that. You know, like, why can't she just get over it? And she's one of your good friends and look at what you've look been through. You and, right. and you, you know, you never gave up. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm, I'm not her. Right. And I'm not, I don't have her spirit and, and I don't have her past. And, right. And so we all deal with loss and pain and all of that so differently. Very differently, right. So um, there's a lot of anxiety. <laughs> I feel it on Tuesday night in my Bible study, you know, oh, yeah. with with fertility. Mm-hmm. And so if someone is if someone is just starting this process and they come into you, what are what are the biggest questions that they have? It, it's a new couple, a new a new um, yeah, nobody's ever been pregnant before. Right. Um, what are their biggest questions? Usually their questions for me is, are we going to be able to? Mm-hmm. And that's always an impossible one to answer. I mean, statistically speaking, <laughs> yes. But I, I don't have my eight ball today. Right, yeah. I sure <laughs> wish I had that crystal ball. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, they kind of start off that way. And, and then it's just a matter of kind of gaining more information from them. You know, does she have normal cycles is she regular monthly does he have any medical history that would pose an issue and so we kind of go through that history and i kind of just gather more information from them um some are worried about their age you know is is my age going to play a factor in getting pregnant or the health of the baby that's and probably when another does big one. age become a factor Fertility rates do start to decline in our 30s and certainly our mid to late 30s and and 40s, most definitely. Um, But having said that, I have a ton of patients who are in their mid to late 30s and even 40s. Um, They can take longer. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they end up needing assistance, especially in the late 30s and 40s um, from fertility treatments. And then the other um, issue is risk of chromosomal abnormalities, mm-hmm. things like Down syndrome and, and different trisomies. Um, and that increases with maternal age. Mm-hmm. So we could talk about those statistics, but I think a lot of people, they, they have that 35 age in their head because that's kind of what's been thrown out there at us over the decades. Is that number legitimate? Well, 35 came from... Years ago, when we didn't have the non-invasive testing that we have now to test for Down syndrome and chromosomal abnormalities, mm-hmm. all we had was amniocentesis, which is the invasive test. Right. You I know, remember that. Putting the needle in there, mm-hmm. drawing the fluid out, and doing the chromosomal testing that way. Mm-hmm. The risk of that test was the same as the risk of a 35-year-old woman having a baby with oh, wow. an issue. And so that's why that's, high risk. that's why 35 came to be. Now, that risk is only half a percent. Oh, seriously? Yeah, it's only half a percent. Oh, never mind. <laughs> I'm talking like I know. Yeah. No, the risk of the test, so it didn't make sense to offer an amnio to someone who's 30 mm. because the risk of the test is greater than her age-based risk. Mm. So that's where 35 came from. I see. It wasn't like anything magical happened to us at 35. 
It just, that was the risk of the test. Mm -hmm. Well, now we have all these non-invasive tests. Very few women need an amniocentesis these days. Mm. Um, and what is the test? I don't know what it is. Well, there's, um, there's a couple different ones, but what we typically do in our practice is there will be a what's called a nuchal translucency, where it's a sonogram, where they're measuring the neck thickness of the baby around 12 weeks, mm -hmm. and then couple that with a blood test, which oh. is able to extract some of the fetal proteins in the mom's blood and basically do a DNA test on that. That's amazing. It's cool. People will call it the gender test. I tell my patients that's not its purpose. <laughs> yes, it will tell you that. But the purpose is to screen for kind of the big chromosomal abnormalities that don't result in a miscarriage first trimester. Um, and how, how, many, how many chromosome tests does it test for? So really it tests for trisomy 21, which is Down syndrome, mm -hmm. and then trisomy 13 and 18. Mm -hmm. And then it does the sex chromosomes to make sure that you have one X and one Y or two X's, to, you know, uh, so it makes sure that there's not a, uh, a sex chromosome abnormality. And if there is, what is, I don't know what that is. What does that look like? What is this? Oh, it could look like a bunch of different things. Like some's not compatible with life. Uh, um, it's, it varies depending on what depending it is. Depending on the combination. Right, exactly. I've never heard of that. So it, um, that's the testing that's offered now first trimester. And, um, and so we offer that to everyone regardless of their age because there's no risk to that test. And do most people go for it? It depends on their age. I think mm -hmm. that people who are over 35, I would say certainly more than half do it under 35. Some of it's depending on um, how bad they want to know that gender. A lot of people still do it for the gender test. Yeah, you know? I'm sure. But I counsel them, you know, what are you going to do with information? Is it going to change what you do with the pregnancy, change how you prepare? Or if you're paranoid do it. You'll get your normal results, hopefully. And then you can not think about this anymore, mm. you know, mm -hmm. and there's no risk in doing it. But that's the other thing with age. And so at 40, so if, if the risk at 35 is half a percent of having a chromosome abnormality, the risk at 40 is 2%. Mm. So yeah, it quadruples, but, but still, it's still only 2%. It's still only 2%. Wow. Right. I, I did not know that it was that small. Right. Wow. Because you hear about it like it's Oh, Everywhere. Yeah. Everyone thinks it's, yeah, you know, it's such, such a, a huge risk. Huge risk to be over 35. But um, really now at age 40 and over, that's when um, the high risk obstetricians, Dr. Reinhardt and Dr. Greer, who we work with a lot at Presby, they um, will do more regular sonograms on women over 40 because there is some added risk there as far as placental function and stuff like that. But over 30, in between that 35 and 39, there's really no additional testing unless the mom wants to do that one test. So if a patient comes in to you and they have been trying for, if what do you say is, is a normal time frame? Sure. Average, I hate the word normal, average time frame for people, when do you start getting worried about somebody not conceiving? Well, everyone thinks that the first month they try, they should get pregnant. Yeah, which is absurd. You know, I mean, that's just their expectation. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and we live in a And world. if not the first month, the second month, for yeah. sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and so I tell them the success rate, when everything's working right, mm -hmm. you have a normal menstruating woman, ovulating, sperm, everything's good. Mm -hmm. It's a about a upper 20s to 30% success per month. Okay. So it's not this 90% success. It's 30. Mm. Yeah, and that's if everything is amazing. If everything's working right. Mm -hmm. And so 
over a year, that will accumulate to about a 90% success rate. Okay. So try for a year. That's what we try to say, but that doesn't work. Usually around month eight, everyone's anxiety is getting really high. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I'll start certainly doing some testing and making sure that there, there aren't any issues that we need to address. If someone's not having regular periods, uh, menstrual cycles, well, then I know there's an issue. And so we'll jump in sooner. But if everything's working right, I I try to, to have them just keep trying for at least eight months. And then if that, if anxiety is high and nothing's happening, what is your first, what is your first, what do you do? Well, we'll do some testing. We'll do some blood work on the woman, kind of check her ovulation, check her hormone status, make sure those ovaries uh, do you have a good reserve or kind of a good oomph, uh, is what I say. And, uh, and I know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> you got to have oomph. That's awesome. We'll do a semen analysis to make sure the counts are good, the motility is good. They're, I always say swimming with a purpose, you know. Um, and, then, um, and then there's an x-ray that we'll do on the woman to look at the uterine cavity and the fallopian tubes and make sure that things are open. There's no scarring. There's no kinks that the sperm and egg can actually meet because um, they meet in that fallopian tube and then travel to the uterus uh, together. So we look at those things as far as testing goes. Mm. And then depending on what we find, I mean, if there's an issue with one of those and we address that, mm-hmm. if we need him to go see a urologist, we'll do that. If we need to do some fertility medicines because her ovulation isn't what it should be, then we'll do that. Uh, if there's a blockage, then there's a way around that too in the tubes. So um, depending on that testing, what a lot of people will find frustrating is all that testing comes back normal. That's what I was going to ask. And they're still not getting pregnant. Right. Um, okay, so can I ask you mm-hmm. what percent, and I know you, I'm sure it's just a guess, but a guesstimate, um, when somebody comes in and they're not having success and it's been eight to 12 months and you do all the testing, what percent of your patients do you f- usually find something that explains it? Um, if, I mean, more than half of the time. Oh, okay. The, the rule of thumb is it's usually 30% ovulation problems, mm-hmm. 30% male factor or semen analysis or something up there, mm-hmm. and then 30% tubal issues, and then you kind of leave that 10% for the unexplained. Mm. That's the rule of thumb. I, I would say, um, I don't know if I quite see the 30% tubal issues. That that might be a little skewed uh, for my practice. I don't think I see quite that much, but otherwise those numbers pretty much hold true. Do you find that the if if the if the issue for lack of a better word mm-hmm. lies with the woman versus the male the male versus the woman how do how do those what's the response like what are the what are we how do we respond calling and telling them that the sperm count is I low. bet <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I asked that question right. because I'm envisioning that right. that has to be really hard for a man to hear they they typically do take it hard and obviously there's varying degrees you know sometimes it's just a low motility or Mm -hmm. sometimes the counts are you know borderline but there have certainly been cases where we've done a semen analysis and there were no sperm wow like zero whoa yeah and And how do you explain that it's just people are born like that Mm -hmm. wow 
And so Dang. that's where that's a hard mm. pill to swallow yeah. for a man, a couple. Of course. Um, obviously, there's you know great options as far as sperm donors and stuff like that, but it's just not, not what, what they, they want to hear. No, that's not what they want to hear. Mm-mm. Not at all. So that's that's hard. I bet because as a woman, I think I would feel relieved if something happened with my baby. I think I'd blame myself, but if my tubes are blocked, I'm not going to beat myself up right. over that. There's I'm a, way, there's a way around that. We yeah. found the issue and we can work around it. Right. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but no, men are very, what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, that's just part of their yeah, manhood. self-esteem, their yeah. manhood. They should be able to impregnate a woman. Yeah. Period. Yeah. <laughs> Cave, <And> caveman. <laughs> It's true. You can just, I mean, all these years later, right? it's its so funny that that really, I feel that. Right. Like I no, so, it's, it's there. I get that. So if after a year, mm-hmm. um, somebody has been tested, no, nobody's finding anything, and what do you do? Usually we'll start off with Clomid. Using some medicine, Clomid or Famara, they're both... So even if you can't find anything? If we can't find anything, mm-hmm. the first recommendation for unexplained infertility is to do medication for her and pair that with insemination. Okay, and, and explain... Intrauterine ins- insemination. And what is that? That is where he'll give a sample, mm-hmm. and uh, then the lab will spin that down to the vital necessities, and then we will then place that into the woman's uterine cavity. Um, many people will, you know... Crudely call it the turkey baster. This is the turkey uh, this baster. Is the tur- this is it. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> it's much smaller than a turkey baster. I'm sure. But, <laughs> but yeah, we'll uh, we'll place the sperm up into the uterine cavity, and then we wait. How um, how do you deal and with working with those couples? How do you handle working with those couples that never have success? Well, I tell them first off, I mean, if if we're not getting success on their own and then we jump to the medicine and insemination and we do that for three, three, four months and we're not having success, then I'll tell them, look, I, I don't know how many hoops you're going to have to jump through, mm-hmm. but I believe it will happen and you need to believe it mm-hmm. will happen. Um, what a great thing to say. Just hang in there. Mm. I don't know why mm-hmm. it's not happening now. I don't have that power. We don't know that plan. Mm-hmm. But hang tight mm-hmm. and don't stop living. Mm. You know, that's really good. If you're out God, to eat and you want a glass advice. of wine, have a glass of wine for crying out loud. Yeah. You know, um, don't stop living really and good. just become all obsessive. And that's what I see. It gets all obsessive for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's when I'll refer on. If we do several rounds of Clomid and insemination or Femara and insemination, then I'll refer on mm-hmm. to the specialist that will take it to the next level. Mm-hmm. There's a couple next levels after that where they'll do injectable medicines and really get those ovaries super stimulated. Um, and then obviously there's IVF that will come as kind of the last step. How do you, as a doctor, um, who is incredibly brilliant and bright, (laughs) and you are, I mean, you have to be to do what you do with the practice that you do it with and as well as you do it. But, and I think that, of course, that is what has put you on 
on the board, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. Too but kind. I think it's honestly as as amazing as all those things are. I think the thing that has to set you and Dr. Bertrand and the people in your practice is how you, I mean, I, I have cried so many tears in your office. Right. And so, and, and Dr. Bertrand has cried so many say, tears right, with yeah. me, you know? And <laughs> he so, and his nurses. Yes. Right. And, it, you know, it was a hard time, but it was a special time. And I right. always felt like even though there was all this angst around um, my babies and pregnancy and all of that, you all had this amazing ability to comfort me. Mm-hmm. So how do you how do you handle all those tears? Well, I mean, we learn from each patient. Mm-hmm. You know, we sure we went to med school, we trained for this, but we learn from our past and we learn from patients. And I'll say just with your experience personally, when you when I was a part of that delivery and Bertrand had told me the history and kind of caught me up to speed. I mean, I learned from you. You were this ray of hope and excitement, and you knew what might happen. But we all learned from you, and so many other people have over the years. Um, That's such a beautiful, I mean, I so appreciate you saying it because it's me, but what a beautiful thing for you. That's such a beautiful answer. Well, but it's true. I mean, I had a patient... um, it's been a little over a year. It was a year in April, and she lost a baby at around 36 weeks. And uh, she'd had other previous healthy, beautifully healthy babies and pregnancies. And um, it was tough. It was tough on all of us. I'm very close to she and her husband. And, um, you know, she came up. We went to the funeral. My nurses and I went to the funeral that they had. And we... On the year anniversary of that, she came up to the office and, you know, had a bottle of wine for me and a card saying how much she was remembering this day mm-hmm. and and being a part of that. And I just remember being at that funeral and her husband got up and spoke and uh, read some scripture. And I, I felt like saying, you're in the wrong profession. You need to be up on the pulpit. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was amazing. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's it's a continually just learning process and you gain different experiences and and how people cope and different things to to be there and I think the main thing that patients have shared with me is you know it's okay to say this this sucks Mm -hmm. you don't have really good you don't have to say you know this is God's will you don't have to say um you know some of those yeah, typical cliche, cliche things mm-hmm, that are supposed to make you feel better, yeah. but don't. You can say, "That's really." Good. I'm sorry, and this sucks, mm-hmm. and we'll we'll get through it together. Mm-hmm. And so that's that might be the best remedy of all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I said, I shoot it straight from the hip. So, and that's it. I yeah. mean, it's um, so allow if you're going through fertility or infertility, just allow yourself to feel all of it. Right. And try not to, with the infertility part of it, try not to get caught up with what's going on at the Joneses' house next door. You know, um, this is something with you and your husband 
and it, it's a journey, mm-hmm. and it, it's not necessarily, you're not going to go from point A to point B. To get to B, you might have to go through C, D, E, and then get to B. Right. Um, really good. And, I mean, my biggest um, encouragement is just to hang in there and not get those stress levels up. And that's so much easier said than done, and I get that. I'll recommend acupuncture to people because it's such a relaxing process. Mm. Um, I'll recommend different things that way to try to help when I can really see it's taking over. I I have seen it take over, and 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 that is that is a hard thing to watch, especially if you're emotionally if they're a good oh, yeah. friend or somebody right. that you really care about, and especially if you're getting pregnant. Right. You know, if you're not having a hard time getting pregnant, oh right, and you see someone, a sister or, or a um, friend, a dear dear friend who's suffering, there's like guilt oh, involved. Yeah. If you're the one, oh, I, mean, when I, saw I was w- pregnant. I would try to like hide my stomach, <laughs> you know, I when bet. I was diagnosing a miscarriage. Oh gosh, I you bet. know, I bet. There's so so much emotion. I mean, that you are really probably in the highest charged emotional <laughs> occupation that exists because there's nothing more personal. Right. There's nothing more personal. You're, you can't get more personal than your well, and job. I think there's the expectation of this is something that everybody does. Mm-hmm. And so it's supposed to, so true. It's supposed to be good. It's supposed to go all right. Mm-hmm. If everybody can do this, then it should happen with me and it should all go perfectly and smoothly and I should have my perfect vaginal delivery and not have any stitches and not, you know, yes. and that's, um, it's just not reality. Yeah. You and know? that's really good. You know, I, I remember when, whenever it just felt like I couldn't have a healthy baby, I remember looking around and thinking, okay, all these people were born. <laughs> right. <laughs> Somebody's, somebody carried all these people. All of these people. And then, and, and you said it before, everybody, Everybody, everywhere you turn when you're it's trying a, to get pregnant it is, is pregnant. A pregnant belly. Yeah. <laughs> everybody, you notice every right. pregnant person everywhere. Well, you know what? Whoever your patients are today um, and whoever you're working with today, they're the luckiest. And mm-hmm. if you, um, I mean, you, you gave some great advice today, some great little nuggets. I love don't look around. <laughs> right. Um, I love stay calm. I love don't stop trying. Right. You know, don't stop believing that it it can happen. So thank you so much, Dr. Haygood. Thanks, you Tova. are so fabulous and you just keep doing what you're doing. You you really make a difference in the lives of so mm. many people. We love you, Tova. Thank oh, you for everything. I love you. Thank you. 